Vietnamese are innovative and resourceful, and so are we. They never stop thinking about new ways to harm our country and our people, and neither do we. Whether long-range weapon or suicide bomb, a wicked mind is a weapon of mass destruction. Whether your solar wave sun or BBC One, this information is a weapon of mass destruction. You could a Caucasian or a poor Asian. Racism is a weapon of mass destruction. Whether inflation or globalization, fear is a weapon of mass destruction. AM 950, Express Voice of Minnesota. Welcome all to Mission Accomplishers. And welcome back. There's been a bit of a hiatus here on Mission Accomplishers. I've been away the past month from the station entirely as I've been dealing with grieving the loss of my mother who passed away unexpectedly at the beginning of August. It's been a very tough situation to deal with for me personally. Me and my mother were extremely close If you have been at the Blue State Ball the past two years, by chance met my mother. She was my date to the Blue State Ball. And really my best friend the past four years or so. She was the person I spent the most time with. I lived with my mom in a multi-generational home. We kind of shared living expenses. She helped me get up off my She helped me get back on my feet after I left New York and was going through some kind of personal struggles. And after that, I just really enjoyed living with her. So I had stayed and uh, planned on continuing to live with her. So needless to say, me and my mom were very close. I am an only child. My mother was divorced. So the two of us shared a very special bond together. So tonight on Mission Accomplishers, I'm going to pay tribute to my mom, Shelly Haas, in her recent passing, kind of share some stories from her life, as well as the impact that she has made on me personally. So enjoy this edition of Mission Accomplishers, The Life of Shelly Haas. Shelly Haas was born in 1961. She was the middle child. And my mom was the ultimate middle child, the Jan Brady. She was the outcast, the weird one. She always felt that way. A lot of insecurity and just generally feeling out of place and not good enough compared to the rest of the family. Of a family of three girls... Her father, Lee, was an engineer, staunch Republican, conservative, really saw the world through the lens of money and balancing the books and how finances would provide happiness. Her mother, Nancy, was the daughter of Chester E. Growth, the famous musician and businessman who started 
Growth Music here in the Twin Cities, the music store that's still run by my family today and is incredibly important to our family story. Nancy, her mother, eventually ended up buying the music store, but in kind of a cold-blooded way. Chester, rather than giving the store, passing it down to the family, sold it to her with real harsh circumstances. Now, my great-grandfather, Chester E. Groth, he was a world-famous musician. He played in the John Philip Sousa Band. He started Chester E. Groth Music in 1939, and it was in the Fauché Tower downtown. But he was a world-renowned cornet player and a successful businessman with the music store. Groth Music still stands today. It's the musician's music store. It's managed to stay independent and my family's been involved the entire time, so it's been an incredibly influential place for me. Very cool music store as well. But it is a definite part of our family store. My mom's two sisters, the oldest, Jody, was the perfect daughter. My mom kind of felt that she couldn't compare, couldn't keep up, felt out of place because of Jody's accomplishments. But my aunt is a really fantastic person and never intended for things to be that way. Just kind of normal family dynamics that occurred. Her younger sister, Melanie, was kind of eventually her partner in crime. There's a great story of when they were teenagers around high school that one day my mom asked to borrow the car so that she could bring she could bring Mel to the movies. So they got the car, but instead of going to the movies, they drove down to California. And we'll sink with California when it falls into the sea. And ended up going to some punk rock shows and kind of hanging out and partying down in California with no notice and not telling any of the family where they'd gone. But really cool. Little tidbit. She went down there on a whim, had a blast. But my mom's childhood was full of pressure from her father to figure skate and be a skater and my mom was really good at skating but she didn't have his vision for her life she didn't share that she wanted to skate to make him proud and she enjoyed it but he wanted her to be an olympic skater and her dad was very harsh on her had a lot of expectations that were unreachable and would let you know that you were letting him down. So this led my mom to eventually kind of start rebelling.
being the middle child, feeling out of place. Also, her parents end up getting a divorce, which to our family is something that is very predictable. Almost everyone in my family has been divorced. It's just down the line. All my aunts, uncles, grandparents, there's a divorce in there. So uh, my mom goes through a divorce and uh, she goes from going to school in Minneapolis to moving to Edina, which is a huge culture shift. This is when busing is going on. So my mom is taking part in these busing experiments of bringing black and white students together from different neighborhoods and really being the guinea pig of this program. As my mom grows up, she's a punk rocker. She goes to all the shows and the local scene down here of uh, the replacements, Husker Du, Babes in Toyland, the suburbs, all that going on as she's kind of a teenager, young adult. My parents meet. She meets my dad at a Black Flag concert. side of St. Paul, my mom's a Minneapolis girl, so you get two worlds colliding. I was always really jealous of what my mom grew up with, having the music scene like that, the stories of these big house parties and houses where all the big bands would come through, and how people had hangout spots that... You didn't know who was going to be there, but you knew they were going to be there. I just always found that real cool. Those punk rock vinyl records that my mom ultimately held on to were incredibly influential to me because when I was a teenager, I found those crates of vinyl records, and that's what I started listening to, and that's what got me into music personally. But throughout my mom's in a younger years, her passion for photography develops. And it starts by taking pictures of these punk rock shows and the scene and all the people involved. And she decides that that is what she wants to do with her life. So she had been going to the University of Minnesota, which her dad was willing to pay for. And she proposes that she switch to MCAD to pursue a more artistic education. And my grandpa 
And her dad responds that if you go for art, I'll no longer pay. So she does, and she loses his funding and goes to MCAD and focuses on design, but also photojournalism. And when my mom got out of school, she ends up getting a job, uh, first an internship with WCCO, the I-team actually, and then working for the for a uh, Minnesota Business Journal and is a kind of legitimate up-and-coming journalist. Her and my dad eventually get married. Their honeymoon ends up being at the Chelsea Hotel in New York City, staying in the room where Sid Vicious killed his wife, Nancy Spungen. <laughs> Got weird parents. Sid Vicious! that should be noted that is important in all of our lives is my parents and my entire extended family struggles with alcoholism and really every single member of my family has been hit with some sort of addiction problem and alcoholism as well as very serious mental health problems are integral to my mom's life you cannot escape really the reach and the consequences because of these things we've all been affected by it and she managed to persevere but it has to be noted this is a special edition of Mission Accomplishers. We're back with new episodes. I, me, Hunter, I've been on a hiatus because of the passing of my mother. So tonight, I'm telling her story. This is the life of Shelly Haas. But I made the note about the alcoholism because when my parents got married they got sober they were kind of party kids they had a lot of fun they were punk rockers but they got sober to raise me and I was raised in really fantastic circumstances I grew up spending time at my family's music store my mom ended up walking away from her journalist career at the time and she at first was started a little daycare business as my dad worked at the music store and spent all day with me. But I grew up 
really close with my mom, just spending a lot of time with her until I ended up going to school myself. But at a young age, my mom was hospitalized very seriously. And what ended up happening was some doctors had put her, had some doctors had been negligent and put her on the wrong medication and really caused some serious consequences that were going to live with her the rest of her life. And my mom's not a person to sue, but she ultimately did take up a lawsuit and was going to win this lawsuit, except for her key witness mysteriously vanished the day that testimony was going to bring. So nothing ended up happening from this negligence lawsuit, and my mom ended up being kind of affected for the worst the rest of her life after that moment. It's very unfortunate. So I lived in a very perfect family setting. I got to spend time with my extended family at the music store, a lot of time with my mom. I'd see my dad. Everyone got along. But then, as I got older, things started getting tense around the house and my parents started fighting. And it led to them getting divorced. First separated, then divorced. And my mom moved out. We were living at Lakeville most of my childhood. And my dad ended up staying in Lakeville. But my mom went to Minneapolis. And this is really going to be where things part ways. And really where my mom starts having a profound impact in my life experience takes a turn that causes it to become what it does and a very unique upbringing because of this divorce and the circumstances that it brings but when my parents got divorced the ruling was that I had split custody so I'd spend one week with my dad in Lakeville one week with my mom in Minneapolis and from 12 onward, that is how I lived. So my mom, living in Minneapolis, started kind of getting a new life. She went back to work for supporting herself. She worked here and there, but had mostly been at home and raising me at, to this point. But now, my mom, who had been pursuing photography this entire time, back to needing to live off of the money she makes from photography. And my mom lived the rest of her life from this divorce onward, really pinching pennies and kind of making it just barely getting by, sometimes not getting by. So my mom worked a ton of odd jobs in her life. She was quoted as saying she had 27 different jobs. But it's around this time that she found her main job of her life, photographer at the Minnesota State Senate. And this experience really had a profound impact on me because with the split custody, I'd spend a lot of time going to work with my parents, actually, especially in the summer when I had free time. So I started spending a lot of time at the Minnesota State Capitol and watching her as the Senate media photographer. So really those early 2000s, my mom uh, was 
at the Capitol, shooting the photos, and I was getting an education in legislature, in civics, in government, and I became hooked. As you can see, she made a monster. Jesse Ventura had just finished up his term as governor, and we had an election for the new governor. And Roger Moe had been the longtime Senate Majority Leader. My mom really admired Roger Moe. She looked up to him like no one else, thought he was the most distinguished person she had ever met, and a just amazing role model and leader, and she had to do everything she could to try and have him be the governor of Minnesota. He has the record for the longest-serving majority leader here in Minnesota. And when he ran for governor in 2002, she was back by his side taking photos the entire campaign. Unfortunately, that campaign was lost, and Tim Pawlenty became governor of Minnesota. A large, a large part of the blame goes to the third party in that race, but... Nevertheless, Palenti became the governor. And what did Palenti do the next year? Cut the budget for Senate media so that my mom was guaranteed to be out of a job. Not only not becoming the governor's photographer had Roger Moe won, but now her position no longer exists at the Capitol. So this hit my mom hard. It was very unfortunate. That campaign had a lot of stakes for her and it didn't pan out and it kind of showed the pain of politics and she always was active. She was always a, a left-wing voice, a champion of progressive causes, but she wanted to kind of stay away after that. I was incredibly frustrated because I watched this happen and I saw my mom lose her life because of it. And I really disliked Republicans after that. Watching them up close and just seeing a family and how they were affected really got me engaged. So from that moment on, I was very actively involved in politics for the rest of my life and kind of a kid you wouldn't expect to be a punk rock kid just like my parents uh kind of scrappy scrappy little punk is what i was <laughs> the other experience that really had a major shift in how i see the world involving my mom at this time was she had black boyfriends. She was dating African-American men. And the reaction that my family had to this didn't make any sense to me. The way that she was treated, that she, the comments made offhand, I knew that white men wouldn't be treated that way. It wouldn't make any sense. I saw how race affected my family. I saw how the police treated her, the father figures in my life, and how differently the black ones were treated from the white ones. I remember one time 
I watched one time my mom's boyfriend was waiting for us outside of her house in his car waiting for us to get home and the police came up and asked what are you doing here you don't belong here and they arrested him and when we got home we had to take the guitars out of his car and go down and get him out of jail there was absolutely no other reason that he was arrested they it was a a, a trespassing charge but I really got a consciousness. I really gained a clarity of race in America and how far behind we are. And it became an important issue for me moving forward. Now... My mom had some friends. My mom, after all this, started going down to Chicago, and she made some friends kind of in the blues scene down there. Eventually started working at Easy Riders in Minneapolis, a motorcycle shop, and was kind of the creative ma marketing manager there. Her house in North Minneapolis was going through a lot of turmoil.
My mom worked at Insight News, picking up her photojournalism again with Al McFarlane. Her job was to cover the beat on the North Minneapolis streets. But at this time in Minnesota, there were a lot of murders going on in North Minneapolis, and they weren't getting adequate coverage. My mom was front and center seeing these, witnessing them, and eventually saw too much. And she developed some post-traumatic stress from this experience. She had to leave where she was living because it got too intense. She went through some of the worst mental health crisis of her life during this time, as well as losing her house. For a period, my mother was homeless. It was very tough. And I didn't know exactly what I could do. It's not something I want to go into much detail. But you can see the challenge of this. When I turned 18, I left Minnesota and I moved out east. And I lived really most of my adult life between New York City and Boston. I was always close with my mom during this time, but I was on the other side of the country. I'd only see people in Minnesota at Christmas time, really. After I was done chasing my dreams and running into my own personal struggles, I had to move back home for a temporary amount of time, I thought. But as I sorted my life out, I went through my own family struggles, and I ended up back with my mom and living with her who she had found, Chaska. And she never thought that she would live outside of the city, but she fell in love with Chaska, Minnesota. And in 2014, I moved in with her. And she helped support me and get me back on my feet through some of the biggest challenges of my life. And me and her got really close again. closer than we ever had been, really.
we did things like take a cruise together, sign a lease on an apartment in Puerto Rico. We almost moved to Puerto Rico, but a hurricane had different plans for us. But we do everything together. We started getting back into campaigns and politics together and reminiscing of the old times. And my mom taught me through my struggles that no matter how bad it gets to have faith because there's bigger plans for you. There's a reason you're going through what you're going through. She taught me that, that my feelings are valid and that she, she showed me how to listen. She showed me what was important in life. Pursuit of money or material things doesn't have as meaningful a pursuit as a life of purpose, a life of self-centeredness, a life of caring about other people. She taught me these things by showing me an example, and I was excited to make her proud to live that example. So fortunately, I got the last four years to get incredibly close with my mom because none of us saw this coming. Had I not gone through my own struggles, I never would have came back to begin with. But I would be regretting that right now. The fact that I got to spend so much time with my mom on her last days, I'm so grateful for that experience. And I'm so grateful for the education that she gave me. I'm so grateful for the ability to put myself in other people's shoes because that's what my mom valued. That was what we saw as important in our small family. How to, Im how to impact the world for the better. How to let people know that you're listening, that you understand, or at least you're trying your best. These are the legacies that my mom will live on through me and through everyone that she touched. My mom didn't tithe because she believed, even though she was poor, that she had to give to those who needed. My mom opened up a shop in Chaska and she had no interest in profit or making money off her merchandise. If someone came in who wanted an item, she wanted to make sure that they went home with it no matter what. That price didn't get in the way from someone owning something that would make their life better. So my mom was an amazing teacher of the human experience and what is important in life. We got so easy to get caught up in the day-to-day, -day, in resentments, in all these negative feelings. But when you take yourself out and put others first, you start to feel fulfilled in life. And you start to realize that you're a part of a whole and that the whole functions better when we all do better. So mom, I will love you forever. Thank you for everything.
here's a clip from when my mom called in after the first Democratic debate. Last night, as I was processing everything that took place, I spoke with my mother and kind of shared with her. And as I listened, I realized how interesting it was to hear from someone who didn't know of any of the candidates beforehand, really. I mean, she knows who Amy Klobuchar is. And uh, my mom is a longtime Democratic voter. So this is the exact type of person that these candidates are trying to sway and influence and get on their side. So why not speak with her and see how a fresh mind, a pure virgin to these candidates, saw the debate? So, Mom, it's good to have you on. Hello, Hunter. It's funny you should use the word virgin because that's what I was thinking. Like, this was my maiden voyage. (laughs) (laughs) And, like, I feel like kind of a a virgin jumping into this... um, this mix of how many people are running. Mm-hmm. But um, I have a completely different take and fresh thoughts about what I experienced. And that was that there was, it, it was a very respectful, uh, there was almost a solidarity of candidates with a universal, with universal themes. Mm-hmm. Um, primarily, get Trump out. Okay. Some people want him to be impeach someone to prosecute him legally after he's out of the office. Um, But it was so fascinating to me to listen to each of these people, even though they had such a short amount of time. It's it's just this plethora of diversity and different solutions to basically the same problems. And... um, I found individually, um, like, oh, somebody was speaking earlier about um, Tulsi Gabbard, and mm-hmm. uh, she stood out to me as being like an excellent Secretary of State. Mm. She served in the military. She knows foreign policy. Um, and somebody else was saying earlier that you know who knows what people's motives are running well. It, it kind of sometimes just falls into place that people fit into different roles. Um, Castro, I was completely impressed with just his um, his thoughts on immigration and on um, going to San Juan. Yes, that was a good moment. Uh, he specifically yeah. brought up Puerto Rico uh, in a Puerto way Rico. to draw attention that um, you don't hear often. And I, I kind of share uh, with him uh, your uh, freshness of view because I really didn't know much about Castro. I, I was vaguely aware of who he was. And he wasn't someone that I was really interested in paying attention to. I just kind of saw it as, ah, this is someone I don't need to really care about or know anything about. But after last night, I was uh, definitely interested now. I would like to hear more. I went from indifferent to curious. Okay, then, that's that's really the bottom line of my experience, is that 
it was an eye-opener for me to hear all of these different candidates talking about it. It's like, whoa, I really like what that guy's saying. I like his idea. I love that he spoke, spoke to his people in his native language. I loved that um, Cory Booker, the senator of New Jersey, um, was passionate about inner-city issues, shooting. I, you know, we mm-hmm. lived in North Minneapolis for seven years. I witnessed a lot of homicides. It puts you in a place that other people have never been before unless you've lived it. And um, Elizabeth Warren, she's, I mean, I was familiar with her. She's, she's such a, like, um, oh, she's feisty, experienced, and unafraid to go against status quo. <laughs> she would not expect from an elderly lady. Yeah. Not that she, you know, but I... These were the things that I took from the debate that just, um, it, it makes me, I think as Democrats, we have been bitching for so long about what's wrong and what needs to be fixed. And this is a really good opportunity for people to listen carefully, stay involved in the process, and really decide which candidate supports their priority in terms of, you know, some some were stressing climate change, uh, labor reform uh, from the, the uh, Ohio, Tim Ryan. Yeah. He talked a lot about blue-collar values. Amy Klobuchar, I mean, our down-home girl, lover, lover, lover. And what I found out about her that I wasn't really aware of, is we, we all know she's strong and um, powerful. She's more moderate than I was aware of. Mm. And she emphasized that she is highly electable. So if we're looking at going into this this uh, next presidential race, all those things have to be factored in. Uh, if our goal is to get Trump out and to get the Democrats back in power, you know, I, I think we can't tit for tat over. Well, it's, uh, I like this about this person, and that. I mean, we got to listen carefully. Hmm. Now, for you, what, what were you? Um, I know you're kind of just surveying at this time, uh, mm-hmm. but what would you say is the primary characteristic that eventually you'll be looking for when making a decision on who to support? Um, oh, that's a that's a really difficult question because that kind of goes with when you know my mind's kind of out there about everybody has all these different different valuable characteristics and and values. I would say if our goal is to get Democrats back in charge, then. I would be leaning towards the most highly electable person that shares the same ideologies as I do. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know what's... Um, go ahead. Right now is the time where, like, surveying 
is appropriate to find out more. I think that that's kind of a, a healthy way for people to approach this is hear things out and then decide what the priorities are. Because I, I thought it was really useful when they they were all asked towards the end of the debate what was the most pressing issue facing this country or existential threat or something along those lines. So people, they each gave a kind of one word answer, one or two um, topics of what threat is facing mm-hmm. America that they feel is the biggest. And there was a lot of like climate change or Iran. It was different areas to go down. Mm-hmm. China was one that was mentioned often. But I thought that even though it was only a one word answer, that it told a lot about them and what their priorities would be if they were elected. So you could take a lot away from that. But to get to that point, we have to be in the surveying phase where we just hear people out and kind of get a feel for them rather than being stuck on one idea and kind of making assumptions about every what we know, actually just assuming that we have more information than we do. Eric pointed that out during our stream last night, that how often we find out just like we hear um, one sentence in our life and then we make a judgment based on that and discount everything about that person going forward. And that is so common nowadays. So I thought that was a, a good thing to be aware of for for me but um just um i think looking at the field is a good place to start right now yes i, I strongly encourage it and and um as as we weed people out through the process um i mean it's just an education in general about really the problems in our country Mm-hmm. And that there are, that's democracy, is different people sharing common values, but yet different priorities and thoughts on how we can do the best for the country. Like, I love the, the climate change is huge for me, and it's so strongly overlooked. Um, and so it was refreshing for me to see or hear um, you know there's somebody out there fighting for that as their top priority that's going to happen whether they become a president or not that's Mm -hmm. their life like Paul Douglas I mean it's it's their passion and and their concern about positive change. Yeah, that's a good thing to bring up, actually. And that was that's my main concern with anyone, is when I feel that their motives are self-serving, that the reason that they're pursuing uh, politics and this, pursuing the presidency, is that they want it for themselves, rather than being mm-hmm. driven by something where it's not even a choice to them, whether they run or not, because they have to, because they care so deeply about something. So that's huge for me. But um, yeah, we, we're running out of time here. But just quick, um, what were who were a couple of the candidates last night that you feel were most electable against Donald Trump? Well, 
um, most selectable. Mm-hmm. Uh, Amy Klobuchar and Elizabeth Warren. Hmm. Two women. Interesting. All right, Mom. Well, thanks for joining us. That was very, very valuable feedback. I'm glad you had that fresh lens to look at this. Thank you. Thank All you right. For your time. Thank you for the air time. I'll see you tonight. All right, all right. All right, we'll be right back here on AM 950.